everybody, welcome to back to Libations and Legends. I'm Jen. And I'm Bob. And we are here on a little bit of a stormy, gloomy Friday. We had a nice little thunderstorm roll through here and the animals were flipping out. When the thunder rolls, oh, the animals hide. <laughs> Except the cat, she was freaking out. I don't know what her deal was. But. So Bob, what you drinking this week? Oh, yes. I've got, uh, we made a little trip down to the Sly Fox uh, yes. Brewery and Tasting Room in Pottstown, PA. Yes. And uh, awesome barbecue. Yes. And good deal, only like 20 bucks. Yeah, for like a pound of pulled pork or pulled chicken and two sides. And So, highly okay. recommended. But while there, I got a growler of the Sly Fox Burns Scottish Export Ale. And it is uh, very good. It's a little bit higher ABV, but nice flavor, real mellow. Yeah. And I got a six pack of the uh, Sly Fox Grisette, a, um, a delightful Belgian wheat ale, as it says on the label. So it's a nice, milder kind of beer. I like the uh, wheat ales, if you will, the Heffelweizen, that type of stuff. Heffel. Heffel. Heffel pump. Heffel. So anyway, so, Jen, are you going to kick us off this week? I am going to kick us off this week. No um, no funky news, nothing because we have two very intriguing stories this week that, uh, you know, might be a little bit uh, in a little bit more in depth than some of our other ones. Really, Peanut? You know, it can't be a podcast unless Peanut's acting up. She's like that spoiled child that when she doesn't get enough attention, she starts acting like a little shit. Would you agree? She's my child. I know. She's my child too. Yeah, she's pain in the ass. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, my uh, Bob spun the wheel for us, and for my category, I got one of my favorite um, things to talk about, read about, research about, and that is conspiracy theories. Ooh. So, I chose. The truth is out there. The truth is out there. Um, so I chose, I'm like really heavy into the whole MK Ultra thing right now, but I haven't done as much reading as I would like to on that, to do an episode on that. So I chose something else that the CIA did called Operation Mockingbird. Mock. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Bird. And then you That's go, Yeah. No, that's all I got. Okay, that's all I got. We all established right. I have nothing more. All right, he has nothing. All right, so Operation Mockingbird. Operation Mockingbird. Bird. <laughs> Mockingbird. Mockingbird. It makes your stomach hurt. Mocking turd. <laughs> so Operation Mockingbird was a program of the CIA that began in the early years of the Cold War. Its purpose was to manipulate news media for propaganda purposes. It funded student, cultural organizations, and magazines. That shit's going on. It's, going it's, on still, now. it's still going on. So it's still going on because <sighs> look at what the uh, the media, the <laughs> look at the manipulation of the media every single day. I don't trust any of it, unless it's NPR or BBC. Then I, I trust you can't, it. No, you really can't trust any of them, to be honest. Like Public Enemy said, can't trust it. I think you have to go and you have to independently do your own little research. Do your own research. And then take a consensus. <laughs> but I will have to say, in my opinion, from my research, when I had to write that paper, 
NPR and BBC are two of the most like middle of the road type. They're not left. They're not right. They're just kind of reporting the facts. They're not swaying stuff. Yeah, you always just have to wonder if they're laying back, like who who controls them because all that's these the, well NPR are... is publicly funded. Okay, so that's a public. It's, oh, it's oh, you know, know. Think PBS NPR. All right, so here we go. According to author author Deborah Davis, Operation Mockingbird recruited leading American journalists into propaganda networks and influenced the operations of front groups. The CIA was exposed in 1967 when a magazine called Ramparts reported that the National Student Association received funding from the CIA. Payolas. Yeah. Payolas. Here, we're going to slide you some money. You stick this in there about the the Ruskies. Yeah, put a little, you know what, this is for the good of your country. That's right. America. If you love America. You'll do this. You'll do this. If it's correct or not. We'll give you a bunch of money to yeah. do it. Yeah, just in case. Just in case. So, and in 1977, Rolling Stone article uh, titled The CIA and the Media, reporter Carl Bernstein wrote that by 1953, CIA director Alan Dulles oversaw the media network, which had um, major influence over 25 newspapers and wire agencies. Its modus operandi was to place reporters developed by CIA provided intelligence, I'm sorry, reports developed by CIA provided intelligence with coordinating and unwritten reporters. So um, those reports would be repeated or cited by the recipient reporters who would then be cited throughout media wire services. So they were just. So they were creating. So. <clears throat> Somebody, they would get somebody to do the quote, and then everybody else would just cite that quote Correct. from there. Correct. So it was like a whisper down the lane type of thing. Right, right. The, you know, the message it might not necessarily yeah. be true or, yeah. you know, was propaganda. So, okay. So these networks were run by well-known big business, uh, big businesses with anti-Soviet views like um, CBS, who was ran by William S. Pauley. Time and Life magazine, which was ran by Henry Lush, I think. Lush. Lush. Um, the New York Times, which was uh, run by Arthur Schlesenberger, and the managing editor of the Washington Post, Alfred Friendly. So you got some big. Those are still big media news media things now. Absolutely. So you know, can you imagine like back in the day, like we were, you know, we were kind of talking earlier about how. We grew up kind of like at the end of the Cold War the, when all that was kind of going away and how much, you know, the Red Scare was such a big thing well, right. after and, and, World but War II. there was II. only so many news sources that you had right, had right. at that point in time. Right. It's not like now. Now where everybody's a news source. Right. But people also relied on that to be, relied on the news to provide reliable information. I mean, because they couldn't yeah. fact check. I mean, it's like, yeah. And it's like now when you think, oh, communism, we're going to become communist. Well, get the fuck out of here. But like back then in the 50s and stuff, that was some like serious shit. Oh, yeah. That oh, was like, scared. you know, how many lives were ruined because they thought people were communists. I mean, the MacArthur, you know, McCarthy McCarthy, era, McCarthy sorry, era, you know, dragging people through the mud. So Yeah, that's right. So reporter Deborah Davis um, assisted... Uh, uh, asserted in her 1979 biography of Catherine Graham, who is the owner of the Washington Post, that the CIA ran Operation Mockingbird during this time. 
Davis wrote that the International Organization of Journalists that was, cre um, that was created by a communist front organization received money from Moscow and controlled reporters on every major newspaper in Europe um, so that the, promote to promote the communist cause. So the Ruskies were... Uh, they were working hard in Europe. Doing their same thing. Mm-hmm. Just like they did with uh, elections here. <laughs> now, Bob, he was acquitted. Putting them... No, well, I mean, them, but them putting them... They're saying that didn't happen. They didn't intercede in the elections at all, they said? I thought that they attempted to, at the very least. They, they did. But let's not pretend. Let's, uh, let's just... Let's continue on with the story. Okay, so Davis wrote uh, that... Frank Weisner, director of the Office of Policy Coordination. Wouldn't it be better if his name was Bud Weisner? Bud Weisner, that would be. That would, that would be awesome. So he was the director of the Office of Policy Coordination, which was a covert operation uh, created in 1948 by the U.S. National Security Council. He created Operation Mockingbird in response to the International Organization of Journalists um, and he recruited Phil Graham from the Washington Post to run the project within the industry. So the Washington Post, you know, that's a big deal paper. Yeah. So by the early 50s, Wisner owned, quote unquote, owned respected members of the New York Times, Newsweek, CBS, and others. Okay. So they so, were their stringers that, that essentially were, you know, on their payroll. Mm -hmm. and, yep. Right. So now we're going to jump ahead to Watergate. Let's do the time warp dance. So, mind you, that was 1948. Now we're jumping to what, in like 1975? 70-something, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, after Watergate, the U.S. Congress became concerned after possible presidential abuse of the CIA. <laughs> no. Get out No. What, a government official People misappropriating and, and... Using the CIA for their nefarious... Plot... And schemes? Say it in so Bob. Nefarious plans. Nefarious. So Congress authorized a imagine series... In, imagine like the government just like twirling his little, little beard stash. like Snidely Whiplash. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Congress authorized a series of congressional investigations of agency activities from 1975 to 1976. It's only a year. Right. They're not even going back into all the other stuff. This is just one year. Yeah, how accurate of a, of a snapshot can you get Correct. of the activity? Correct. Oh, however, I guess <laughs> they found something. They, they found stuff because that's they. This is when they busted open uh, MKUltra too. Yeah. So a wide range of CIA operations were examined, including CIA ties with journalists and numerous voluntary organizations. So the most um, extensive discussion of CIA relations with news media came from the Church Committee, um, the Church Committee's final report, which was published in April 1976. So the Church Committee uh, was uh, headed by a gentleman named Frank. He was a senator from Idaho named Frank um, Church, and they investigated. They, they investigated the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, the IRS. Um, so they went, like, you know, everybody in those or organizations were probably shitting their pants. Oh, yeah. So so for foreign news they media... They shit enough bricks to make a church. <laughs> <laughs> ah! 
So uh, for foreign news media, the report concluded that, and this is a quote from the report, the CIA currently maintains a network of several hundred foreign individuals around the world who provide intelligence for the CIA and at times attempt to influence opinion through the U.S. of through the use of covert prop, propaganda <laughs> through a covert propaganda agenda. These individuals provide the CIA with direct access to a large number of newspapers and periodicals, scores of press services and news agencies, radio and television stations, commercial book publishers, and other foreign media outlets. So they were like inter- internet influencers before they were Correct. internet influencers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was for the European. That was for what was going on in Europe with their media and stuff like that. Now, here's the quote from, from the uh, report or the statement from the report for the U.S. For U.S.-based media, the report states approximately 50 of the agency assets are individual American journalists or employees of U.S. media organizations. Of these, fewer than half are quote-unquote accredited by the U.S. media organization. The remaining individuals are not are um, not accredited, are um, are accredited are not accredited freelance contributors and media representatives abroad. More than a dozen U.S. news organizations and commercial publishing houses formally provided cover for CIA agents abroad. A few of these organizations were unaware they provided this cover. So the bottom line was. They had people that were working, double dipping, mm-hmm. that were working as reporters, but also working for the for the CIA. Right, spreading their propaganda. Spreading their propaganda. Correct. They were making out great. Yeah. So now this was the CIA's response to the report. CIA response in 1976 uh, by George H.W. Bush announced effect. Uh, this is quote. From him. Effective immediately, the CIA will not enter into any paid or contractual relationship with any full-time or part-time news correspondent. Not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. Um, accredited by any U.S. news service, newspaper, periodical, radio, or television network. Um, or station. No. So, by the time the Church Committee report was completed... All the CIA contracts with accredited journalists had been dropped. The committee, however, noted that accredited, quote-unquote, accredited correspondence meant the ban was limited to individuals formally authorized by contract or assurances of press credibility to represent themselves as correspondents. Right, so they were only, they, they, the ones that didn't have that, level of control they were still doing it right and that none of the contract workers who did not receive press credentials such as stringers or freelancers were not included there's your loophole. so there's your, yeah exactly there's your loophole so they can still go out and push their propaganda agenda against communism so who you know who knows it's shirtless it's putin that's shirtless knows. putin Shirtless Putin. So that that was my story of Operation Mockingbird. I'm sure it gets much more in depth with what they've done, but that was just kind of like the gist of what was what was done, and and uh, that's what we got. Operation Mockingbird. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very very interesting. Because I know there was another 
another part, a big part of this is they were wiretapping journalists and things like that to listen to what they were saying or what they were getting their information. They were they were doing all kinds of illegal shit they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. So so that was Operation Mock Ing. Bird. Yeah. Mockingbird. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so stay with us. Bob's got his story up next. And uh yeah, you're gonna be uh wow, this story is uh Whoa. something else. Something else. See you back here in a few minutes, kitties. And welcome back. So this week, uh, my uh, spin of the wheel landed me in the category that I probably was least sure of when I put it on the on the, the uh, spin wheel to begin with, which is lore. Because really, what's the difference between lore and legend, and so on and so forth? So I looked into it, and I started thinking a little bit, and I realized that, for me, lore is when that legend goes into the real world and actually becomes more than just a legend. So for this week, what I did is I looked around, and I tried to find a story that was a little bit different. And uh, what I found is the Internet Slave Master. Oh, so, kinky. Here's the legend. Uh, man is trolling the internet, BDSM websites, and like FetLife and things like that. Oh, you're getting spicy this week, Bob. I, I am spicy. Like <clears throat> cinnamon. Like a, like a chili pepper. And cinnamon. And cinnamon. 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 So, and uh, so, and this man is trolling the internet finding women, being their master, master and killing master. them. I'm sorry, Metallica moment. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. There's always Metallica moments. So he uh, trolls the internet, becomes the slave master, their master, and kills them. Well, that's quite not uh, BDSM of him. So... Where this became real was in John Edward Robinson. Now, John Edward Robinson, this feller, is nice, well-adjusted. Now, from the outside, if you looked at him throughout his life, he kind of maintained this whole persona of being a good guy. Uh, but he was born in uh, December 27th, 1943, in Illinois. Illinois. Now he ended up with eight victims that they know of. Oh. Seventeen aliases. Jesus. And he was an active killer from 1984 till 1999. So they had quite a little run there. That was a. Uh, he had a 15-year period. That was quite a jaunt. Now the background always there's going to be family issues. You know that happens. So he was the third of five kids. Middle mm -hmm. kid syndrome. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. That's it. With an alky dad. Uh, that's never a good combo. And a hard-ass disciplinarian mom. Three strikes and you're out! Exactly. Now, for me, here's a big warning sign is he was also an Eagle Scout. Which, there's some really great Eagle Scouts out there, but there's some creepy bastards that stick around there because they're social yeah. outcasts. And kind of... They just don't know, yeah. They, they... Don't have real great social skills. on to something. 
So you gotta, you, you know, you mark that and you keep that in your little uh, checkbox in the back of your head. There are some very normal Eagle Scouts out there. We're not trying to say that all Eagle Scouts are weird, but come on now. So anyway, John Edward Robinson also had a different side, though. He, he wanted to try and be better. So he uh, went to, to school to be a priest <laughs> okay, or some type then. of preacher. But he got kicked out because of disciplinary reasons. Mm -hmm. It was the devil. So he was just basically your overall bad apple. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now, what he needed, though, is he needed, uh, he needed a beard. He needed his cover. Okay. You're going to be a freak. You're going to be a weirdo. You got to have a cover. Of course. Well, his cover was Nancy Joe Lynch. Now, Nancy Joe and and, uh, and him had four kids, including a set of twins. Oh, my. So, John and Nancy got it on. <laughs> Apparently. I don't know if she saw his whole freaky side, but... So, some, you know, as as you know, like through like BTK and stuff like that, some people are incredibly good at hiding all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Some are, and I guess that's the sociopath part of it. Yeah. So anyway, to this little uh, sun gun, some a gun, we'll get into some of his crimes because he started off as it always does. It kind of ramps up. Usually doesn't start off in full gear. So in 1969, he, uh, his first crime that they could really find on, uh, he, be, he embezzled $33,000 from a doctor Okay. that he was working at after he faked being an x-ray technician. Uh, okay. So, what year was that again? I'm sorry. What? What year was that? That was, was in 1969. Like, wow, that was a lot of money back then, too. Yeah, that's a good bit of money. $33,000. Yeah. That's still a good bit of money now, but probably a lot more back then. So then... You know, to kind of keep the tradition going, in 1971, he got nailed for embezzlement again. Okay. And in 75, securities and mail fraud. How's this man not in jail? Yeah, apparently he was just, I, I think these securities types of frauds and things like that, they were uh, more apt to give, like, probation Fuck. at that time. Okay. Now, all this being around, he would just move around, change his name... And he'd kind of start over again. Get himself a new identity. He'd, he'd uh, ingratiate himself to the people around him. He even had himself in one town named uh, Man of the Year. And, okay. And, and he organized his own luncheon. Wow. Now is his family... He had a luncheon. <laughs> for himself. I want a luncheon. For being for Man of the Year. Can I throw myself a luncheon? I wonder if he had his ball gag. I don't know. Maybe. Now, was his family moving around with him at the time? Do you know? Or were yeah. they... So the wife the didn't notice that he was changing his names? Or, like, he wasn't telling her? I don't her, think that she what? paid attention to his business. This is it, women. You gotta pay attention. Well, I mean, but back then... Back that's... then, that was that was kind of the status quo. Right. That was the norm. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. That's quite all right. Party for yourself. Party of one. Ball gag Party for one. one. Luncheon. Luncheon. I have finger sandwiches. So, Bull whip for party of one. Then in 1988, or 1980, pardon me. Okay. He got himself off of probation. And I say that because okay. it was like he kept some of these things. He just got probation for originally. And then when he would violate, even though he was using a different name, they would just tack onto his probation. So, you know, figure 
his first embezzlement in 69 if he and he got in trouble for that so he was finally out of trouble long enough in 1980 to get back in trouble again and do embezzlement and check fraud <laughs> God, he just couldn't keep himself apparently out of trouble apparently not now so then he ended up serving 60 days in in uh in the pokey in jail yeah Oh, so he finally did go to jail. What did he, he did for six Did he tell days. his wife he was on a business trip? What? I, I think he said basically, oh, you know, they're out to get me. They're just making these things Oh, up. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, he sounds like, you know, he can talk his way about into into or out of about anything. So. Well, he's a swindler. Correct. So you got to have you got to have the gift of gab for that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, he even uh, swindled his friend out of twenty five thousand dollars. And then was trying to bang one of his neighbor's wives and got into like a fist fight in his neighborhood. Good lord. And apparently the $25,000 was to help towards his wife's treatments for an illness that she had. That bitch wasn't dead. She wasn't dying. She divorced his ass like 20 years later. Ah, jeez. Yeah, yeah, she stayed with him the whole time. Wow. She's a good wife. No. Good wife, you gotta... (laughs) You gotta have a woman like that. No. She's your your PIC. <laughs> that could have been. She could have been in on it. Who knows? Wait, what's the uh, John Prine song? Um, oh crud. <laughs> what is that one? It'll come to me. Yeah, we'll keep come. going. It'll come. So, in spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. In spite of ourselves. A little appropriate, probably. Um, so during this time, though, he also he joined the Council of Masters. So that's a cult. Okay. And in this cult, the Council of Masters, he got himself elected to and promoted to the position of Slave Master. What are they doing in this cult? I am the Slave Master Junior. Uh, slave <laughs> Is that, like a, his, that, is that like a reality show, like uh, Master Chef Junior, where but instead it's like you know undercover slave master. And what it is is it's actually the CEO slave. of a com- company, of a fetish he's, company. He, he's in his little black suit, <laughs> <laughs> all black latex head and everything. Black latex suit. So <laughs> maybe no. What he did for them though is he is being the slave master. He was in charge of. Procuring the entertainment. And when I say entertainment, he got women so they could torture and rape them. What kind of club is this? It's it's the Council of Masters. It's only the best people, I'm sure. You know, there wow. were probably like a couple politicians. <laughs> I have the Council of Masters. Come with me and stick something in my butt. <laughs> Not wow. like anything like that. Like a, a needle. Yeah, that's what I meant. Wow. Exactly. So, but you know, eventually things got to get progressively worse. Because if one thing he was a savvy enough guy to get away with a lot of the stuff that he did. And you've got to be some level of narcissist to get that in there. Right. And and to build off of that, it's just going to build and build and build. And he's going to push the envelope, which they always do. So in 1984, 
he created two fraudulent shell companies, one called Equa Plus and one called Equa Two. Electric Boogaloo? Electric Boogaloo. Okay. And, you know, very original names. Could mean anything. So. Right. He's just like, here, I just build a business. Oh, you know what? If I'm going to build a business, I need to hire me a girl. His girl like a girl Friday? Uh, or Paula. In this case, Paula Godfrey. 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 Oh, my God. She's 19 years old, and she was a salesperson. Okay. So, hire Paula. She went and she moved away to be here to be able to get this train because he's a rich guy, needs an assistant in his business. He's going to send her for training, and she was never seen again. Jeez. Okay. Now, before that, though, he had the foresight to say, you know what? You're going to be busy with your training and all your stuff. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to get you to sign on some, uh, uh, what do they call that paperwork? Stationary. Uh, stationary. Your name. That way, when you're in your training, you know, you save your time. Just How a stupid. Boy. How stupid. So needless to say, after she disappeared, the only thing they ever heard was some letters saying, hey, I'm okay. I'm in training. Oh, I'm going to go move somewhere else overseas uh, I don't feel like talking anymore with her signature at the bottom with her signature at the bottom totally not her wow so then that's his first woman down okay then he changed his name again and probably this is when he went from Equa Plus to Equa 2 or whatever but Equa. 1985 okay he met Lisa Stasi and her four-month-old daughter at a battered woman's shelter where he was uh, helping people by donating his time and, and trying to help people get back on their feet. What a piece of shit. What an outstanding he was guy. He was just scoping people out is what he was doing. He was an outstanding Vulnerable citizen. women. He was an outstanding citizen. He was a piece of shit. Oh, what a horrible guy. Jesus. Like, women that are at the, the most vulnerable. Vulnerable, right. And then uh, he had her also, Lisa Stasi, sign some blank stationery. Oi, oi, oi. And then she went for some training, or she went traveling as part of the business, I believe it was. And... Uh, she was never seen again alive. What about her kid? Oh, her kid, funny you should ask, his uh, brother-in-law needed or wanted a child and found that there was a woman that had died or committed suicide and this child was alone and he could get that child for them for $5,500 for the what adoption fees and they and presented them with all paperwork signed by judges, it looked like, and, and the whole thing. All fake. fake oh my God. Fake, 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 Jesus. Fake. But he made $5,500. And to the fa that family, must have been wonderful. They had no idea anything like that. It was his like own that. brother. But when... Hey, hey. When the... Uh, this girl found out later on that she was indeed 
um, you know, the mother or the daughter of um, Lisa Stasi, she still stayed with this other family well, and, and acknowledged good. them. But I mean, still, my so, God. Yeah. That's that but, is some next level devious shit right there. Well, and then to top it off, I mean, he kept going. This is all rolling. I mean, he's, you know, and you got to figure he's getting more and more confident each time. Right. Now, I can tell you that the police were on him. Okay. They knew that because he was involved in stuff that was a little bit hinky. I don't know if it was at this point they were on to him. I think it was after his stint in jail. But before he went to jail in 1987, he actually did the same exact deal to Catherine Clampett. Another woman, gone. Disappeared. Did she have a baby, too, that he sold? Did not have a baby. Okay. But she had uh, the whole writing letters to the family. That was like his, like, yeah. And, yeah, and, and in this case, apparently she was... Her writing style was very specific, and, and they... Uh, and his, her family yeah. was like, we ain't buying this? Yeah. So they, you know, this is when they had been calling the police and kind of letting him know, but they could never get enough information on him to get him. Sneaky SOB. But he did go to jail. They got him for fraud. Again. So, and he went to jail from 1987 to 93. Okay, nice little jaunt there. Not too. A little bit. Now, during that time, he took his time and he met uh, Beverly Bonner in the jail, worked in the jail. Oh, God. And he wooed her. Oh, Lord. Now, her husband was a prison doctor. Oh, dear God. She left him and... Uh, for, went, for him? Yeah, for the slave master. Get the fuck out of here. She left him. He promised her a job in Kansas City because he was a big-time businessman. And he was just going to be getting back on his feet. Wow. She was with him. She was an older woman. Which, closer to his age, probably, if not older. Jeez. Now, because her and her husband split up, she was getting alimony checks. Oh, my God. So, Mr. Slavemaster kept cashing her alimony checks, even after she disappeared. This dude, man. Years. Wow. Talk about years. like a plotting and a scheming and a Mr. John Edward Robinson. You are a piece of junk. Okay. So after he gets out of jail, then and kind of gets, he starts really getting into his slave master time. So he find, he meets a woman, uh, and uh, this is just probably like the beginning of the internet, I guess. Yeah, it's got to be if it's like ninety three. Yeah. And Sheila Faith, he met. 45-year-old woman. Okay. And her daughter, Debbie. Who's oh. 15. Now, uh. Debbie had spina bifida. Oh. So. My stomach's already churning. So, uh, Edward, uh, or Mr. Robinson, John Robinson, uh, hired her on. Okay. Posing as a, a wealthy, generous businessman. Full-on rapist, I mean philanthropist, who loves BDSM. That's how you got to advertise it. Yeah. So they moved from California, like Fullerton, I think it was, to Kansas City. And uh, they were getting uh, spina bifida money. 
So they were getting, yeah, they were getting money for that. He, he was probably still cashing alimony checks. He was cashing alimony checks, and he also, for seven years, cashed the spina bifida money. Social Security or whatever it was. Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you know, because Slave Master got to eat. Th this, oh, my God. Okay, keep going. So right. by 1999, the legend was starting to grow on the Internet about this, but nobody really knew who he was. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, though, he was actually gaining a following as Slave Master. He like kept that moniker in the chat rooms and stuff okay. like that. And okay. this is where the Slave Master legend grew. Okay. And he was still married. What? What? Now, now you know what? This, hold up. Wait a minute. You have got to know he has been in jail he is moving all over the place you are the wife that he that's been married to him for what 30 some 30 some years and you don't have no idea what's going on bullshit bullshit yeah okay, yeah I, I mean i would call it too you know you get a call spade a spade go go ahead i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you i'm just appalled by this woman and i this am man. appalled I you am, know who yes. else is appalled my delicate sensitivities if she was still alive isabella lewicka would be appalled God. but she did wow he fake married her and do you have her sign some more papers and then draw up more documents he, as a matter of fact did have her sign papers bdsm oh. papers Oh my god. That a contract that she signed over basically everything to him. What is wrong with you women? What is wrong? And then she disappeared. Oh, he Lord. ended up telling people that ended up looking for Isabella that she got deported for weed. <laughs> okay. Back to her native Romania, I think it was. Wow. And then also Suzanne Troughton. Sex slave number two, or 18. And I'm telling y'all, I know what this man looks like. He, like, ew. Ew. He is not a looker. So he must really have, like, big dick energy, or, like, you know, well, he's already lied to all these people, so he probably has that whole... Well, I mean, he did the same thing. So she did the sex slave. Sociopath. Gone. Now, on his arrest, he got careless. So he was getting investigated. Oh. Uh, See, you get too comfortable. That's the problem. Well, that's it. He got, he got, he got sloppy. Yep, he that's uses, the problem. He's a sloppy BDSM slave master. That's the problem with a lot of serial killers. They get caught on some tripped up bullshit thing. Well, so he got careless. He got investigated for sex toy theft and sexual battery. <laughs> I'm gonna steal this dildo right here. So they quickly run. As soon as they had something on him. They used it to get um, search warrants. Okay. Because they knew he was dirty. They knew he was involved in shit. They just didn't know the extent of it. Until, so, yeah. The first place that they went and they searched, they they went back by a. They were searching the whole house, and they went back by the shed, and then they went to move some butt barrels, and they tipped the barrel over. Blood started coming out. Yeah. That's not good. Two bodies were there. Lewicka and Troughton. Two bodies and one barrel? They must have been tiny. Two barrels. He must have, oh, two barrels. I'm sorry. Two bodies, two barrels. And then in a property in Missouri, he found Bomer, Faith, and daughter Debbie. <gasps> he killed the Spina Bifida girl? Yeah. 
All killed. Now, get this. And I don't know about this. I don't understand this. But all killed on the same day. What? With a ball-peen hammer. The mom and the daughter or all those women? Every one of them. Were apparently killed on the same day. I don't know if maybe they typed that up wrong because it seems far-fetched. That does seem far-fetched. Because he would have had to have kept these women around for a significant amount of time. However, I did see the the where the wounds were, and it was almost exact on each and every thing. So maybe they meant in the same way. Way? Okay. However, it was uh, mid-side uh, of the head, a ball-peen hammer, a strike, boom, each one right there. Looked like one hit. So he must have really wound up and, and oh did a little, God. like, like they used to do with cows and, and stuff. So, that's your uh, internet slave master. I mean... He's wow. a sick bastard. Is he still alive? I think he's still alive. I think he's on death row. And you said his wife didn't divorce him until like 2000-something? Yep. Yeah, after he was That's some bullshit. All, she knew what was going on. She Either said that irrevocable he, differences. Irreconcilable differences. Bullshit. She knew what was going on. So. I am I am deeply upset. Women, you know what? I don't want to like justify any person being murdered or anything like that. But when you drag your kid into a situation, especially a special needs child with something like oh, spina bifida, who can't take too. care of herself. I, I'm still, that's still upsetting. It's upsetting. I understand. You know, I got a special However, place in my heart for the for the special needs children. I understand. So I just uh, okay, but you're um, right. I get you. Sucks. And you know, I told you one of my uh, friends on Instagram and Facebook. He was uh, picked. He wasn't picked, but he was in the courtroom and saw him and was like a. Uh, on the wanted to be on the jury. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Said he, his eyes were all beady and squinty. Uh, he probably knew the story better than we did. He but probably did. Thank you guys for uh, yes. tuning in this week. Uh, you can catch us on all the major platforms. We record off of Anchor. We just got ourselves some new equipment, and um, hopefully, you guys noticed the difference in the sound. We really appreciate it. I, I do want to let you know we are working on trying to get our first interview. Yes. And, um, you know, uh, with a company or with some people associated with a fairly large organization into Bigfoot. Yes, a convention they have every year. So we're um, working on that right now. When As soon as we get the okay and we know that this is going to happen, we can give you guys the details. Um, but we will be doing a, a, a show from Ohio when we go out there. Any, you know, remember, we always are grateful for questions, comments. Of course, we love that you listen to us and subscribe to us because, you know, we want to get those uh, member numbers up there. So we appreciate all y'all. Tell your friends. What, what? Enjoy your weekend.